Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, and welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are all having a fantastic start, middle or end of your week. This week's guest is Mr. Matt Hunter. I met Matt at an entrepreneur mastermind a couple months ago and was immediately drawn to not only the way that he was vulnerably sharing his biggest problems in business and life, but the way he was leading with his heart and giving back to people and just coming together uh, with a presence that was unmasked. Like I, I, I felt so drawn to Matt. And, and once I got to know what he did for a living, I actually now realize why. So Matt is the CEO of the Incredible Founders Pledge, which is a global community of entrepreneurs all committed to donating a percentage of their exit proceeds to charity. So once you build a company and you sell it, these entrepreneurs are committing to donate a percentage of that exit price to charity. So to date, Founders Pledge has secured binding pledges of $1.6 billion from 1,200 business founders in 30 countries. These span entrepreneurs from people like myself to folks who are changing the world like Elon Musk and everyone in between. So it's incredible work and the momentum keeps building as more entrepreneurs and business owners get on board. I love the idea of Founders Pledge. I love the heart that Matt exhibits with Founders Pledge. And uh, it was amazing for me to hear the story of how he even cultivated that desire to give back and how that all started with him having almost a near-death experience, an illness that threatened his life and created the turning point for him to find a way to give back and make more meaning out of life. And as many of our guests show, the rock bottom experiences create the catalyst for a purpose-driven future and how our worst things that could ever happen in our life can actually be the fuel to create the next best chapter. And Matt's story is a testament to that. And I can't wait for you guys to get to know Matt, hear about his struggles, everything from imposter syndrome, how to cultivate courage, the powerful role that presence plays in life and how you can actually get involved with Founders Pledge, whether it's working at the company or committing your own company and in your pledge once you exit, if you choose to exit to Founders Pledge, however you choose to get involved, the episode covers everything. And like I said, this is a brilliant human being with a massive heart. And I hope you guys enjoy uh, the way that he shares that on this episode. But before we get started, if you haven't already, subscribe to the Stay Grounded podcast and give us your review, your ratings. It means the world to us. And I learn so much uh, based on what you guys learn. It makes me whole, really. This this podcast makes me whole. So anyways, I'm going to stop talking and pass it along uh, to my dear friend, Mr. Matt Hunter. Enjoy. Yo, 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 welcome back to another episode of Stay Grounded. Hope everybody listening is having such an amazing day. I am like 
so excited to be uh, across from this dapper young man. What's going on, Mr. Matt? I'm dapper. I'm doing well, man. I'm doing very well. I'm excited to be here. It's a gift to uh, spend some time with you. It is always a gift and such a privilege to spend time with you. One thing that I admire most about you, Matt, and we're going to dive into this, but I just love how you lead with your heart first. You wear it so, so well. Like, like I remember we were sitting in, a, in a, a room and we were all discussing things that we were struggling with and you just like guns blazing came forward and you just put your entire heart out there. And it's, it's, I'm, I'm an empath myself, so I can sense it when I feel somebody just being genuine and real. And so I just want to thank you for being you before we even get in any of the questions or anything like that. Beautiful. What a compliment, man. Thank you. Thank you. I aspire to be a love pirate myself. So a love pirate. I think that, I think that means I'm on my way. So thank you, man. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm going to have to ask you what a love pirate is later in this conversation. But all right. So just to start things off, I've already introduced you to our amazing audience. Um, one question I have for you, and I wanted to start there. You're driven by an extremely love-driven mission, like, which is like you just want to help people. And I see that in you. I see that in the work you do now. Was there a trigger point in your journey that allowed you to become more loving or kind of open up that hard space so that you can be somebody who experiences life the way you do? Wow. Well, where can I start here? I quit my job. My, my best friend and I had kind of crappy finance jobs, you know, the, the standard finance jobs that you would have. At 23, we both quit to pursue music, you know, to, to start a band. And we were, you know, thinking on how can we make music and how can we do that for a living? Because that could bring joy to people. And then from there, we, we created this like technology and that turned into a business. And we started to grow the business at the same time as the band. And as we grew the business, we started to pivot into realms of, you know, really more just, just making money. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Certainly not a critique on people that are just out to make money. But my life was kind of a, a self-serving life. You know, I had all of these gifts. I had all, all of this privilege. And yet I was out there earning respect and money for myself. And so, you know, I was kind of cruising along doing that. And when I left that company... I decided to fill up a backpack and I went traveling. And two months in on that trip, I, I'm, uh, one day I'm riding on a bus in Panama. And I look down at my right hand and my right hand like stops working. And I obviously have this like huge freak out. Don't know what's going on. I wake up the next morning and it's both of my hands. And then I wake up the third morning. It's both of my hands. It's both my feet and it's my face. I've gone like partially paralyzed. And so I'm uh, from Canada. We have free healthcare. So I got on an airplane. I flew to Toronto. You know, the doctor said, basically, you have this temporary life-threatening illness called Guillain-Barre. There's no treatment. There's no cure. We actually don't know a lot about it. But what we do know is that this paralysis can progress for up to four weeks. And in that time, you can either you know, go fully paralyzed, you could go paralyzed to death, or, you know, you could just have like kind of a moderate reaction. About 20% of the cases die, there's really not much we can do. But if you don't die, you can potentially get it all back. And so the doctor was basically like, so, you know, do your best to just like chill and let's see what happens, <laughs> you know, and I'm 20, 29 years old at the time, like the prime of my life, 
just busted my ass working on a business and and that had me doing a lot of reflecting and i think this led me to the really the point that you're prompting me on which is i was reflecting on my life to date and what i was hit with was shame and embarrassment that i had you know used my own gifts to really just serve myself when i could have been reflecting them outwards and you know from that point on i made a promise to myself that if i was to make it out i would focus on you know eliminating the suffering of others really really be more outward focused in my my contributions and fortunately you know i didn't die and i got almost all of it back and you know i've got a new lease on life and you know my my life has been pretty awesome since so that's that's been my um that was really what prompted me uh in that journey what does it feel like to find purpose again Whew. the question is interesting because Purpose, again, assumes that I had purpose prior, and I suppose I did. And, and I guess this is just like an unfolding of the onion, a deeper layer of purpose. Yeah. Uh, because I did have purpose before, and I was, you know, cracking away at that and totally happy with that. So, you know, for me, I think it was, yeah, it, it, it felt like I could put it all on the line, and it would be fine. You know, it felt like I had a deeper understanding of, you know, some of the greatest leaders of all time that, you know, many of them got murdered, right? Assassinated because of their beliefs. And it, it helped me just gain a deeper understanding of how they were even able to do that, right? Versus like, you know, being just like some young guy in the Western world, yeah. you know, making a couple bucks and it's like, great, I just want to have a good time with my friends. I just want to have fun. I just want to be happy, you know? And it's like, why, why do people act that way? And I, I think, uh, you know, it was just this willingness to kind of, I want to have a good life. I want to love. I want to have a fulfilling life, be surrounded by incredible people. But I also want to stand for something important. And, and that feels really good. And it feels, yeah, it just it, it's just like a deeper layer of, of motivation and importance, I guess. Beautiful answer, by the way. And I, I, and I think, and the reason I ask that is because I think most people, you know, they they chase passion or they chase something that they think they want without realizing the root of what's actually driving them. And when I see you and the work you're doing now with Founders Pledge and just the way you navigate your life, it's just, I feel like a deeper sense of responsibility. Do you shy away from responsibility or do you think responsibility, like the word responsibility for some feels burdensome? How do you experience the word responsibility in your own life with the work you do? I mean, we're, we're a growing startup, right? And so, you know, when you start a startup, it's one person, two people, three people, and you're kind of humming along. And then as you grow people and these people report to you, you may not realize that you're signing up for additional layers of responsibility and, and that responsibility continues to mount the, the you know, the, the more people you add onto your team and, more clients and stakeholders that are involved. And so I really like this idea of just shouldering the, as much responsibility as you can, because if you can take care of yourself, if your needs, you can do enough, you know, personal development, work on yourself or whatever it is you need to get to a point of making sure that you're satisfying yourself. Then I, I think you should take on as much responsibility as you can, because then you can infuse that, you know, with, within responsibility, there is, an opportunity to infuse love and compassion and generosity into those interactions, right? And so if, if you feel like you can bring love and compassion into those interactions, then I feel like you should shoulder as much responsibility as you can 
of course, maintain. That's my naive kind of comment as responsibility amounts for me, but it, it feels good right now. It's a really productive way to look at responsibility. Yeah, it, it goes back to a very altruistic, like kind of driver, man. This feeling that you want to help people. Where do you think that comes from? Like, what's the root of that real kind of drive to help people? Targeted marketing to millennials. <laughs> <laughs> I've been brainwashed, man. I've been brainwashed. The marketing the is pill. <laughs> good. <laughs> I've taken the blue pill. Oh man. Yeah, I mean that's a deep that's a deep question, you know. And I, I I would say some of it is certainly attributed to just like you know the culture of of being a millennial in this day and yeah. age. Like no doubt, I can't. I'm not. You know, I'm not above that for sure. Um, but I think part of it as well, you know, is like studying leaders, right? Studying the great leaders. We have amazing biographies written about these people. You know, you can invest some of your time to learn about what they stood for and you know, whether or not you agree with them. And the more leaders I study, the more I kind of, I don't know, it just seems like that's obviously the way. You yeah. Know? It just, it just seems like an obvious thing to me. And I don't know. And maybe, I think it's just more on a gut level. I think I would not be able to like pontificate about some like smart answer as to why that's the case. Uh, that wasn't the point of me asking it. I- I'm just fascinated. I see people driven and motivated by so many things, right? But like the way even that you just described responsibility, how do you balance the responsibility of self-growth with the responsibility of making sure other people are growing? Ooh, wow. Okay. Damn, I'm throwing some heavy hitters at you, bro. That's, that, that is a heavy hitter. Wow. I, <laughs> I don't have any speaking points for this one. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay. So, um, you know, I think I've, in the past, I've gotten that balance wrong. And I've focused too much on myself. Honestly, I'm still going back and forth on this one because, you know, there's, there's only a limited amount of time in the day. And if I wanted to, I could attribute my entire day towards, you know, offering what I know, which is humbly, like not that much to like supporting other people. Yeah. Or I could invest some of the time supporting myself and growing myself so that in the smaller time that I have with other people, I can, you know, disseminate more useful information. And then recently on an interview, I heard Jack Dorsey, the, the CEO, or sorry, double CEO of Twitter and Square, he said that the most important thing that he can do is, is to grow himself. And he has two companies. I don't know. I had a bit of a brain explosion kind of moment. And so I'm not sure how to break that down other than, you know, my mornings are, are sacred. And so I have, you know, three-ish hours of reading, meditation, et cetera, journaling. And then, you know, in the evening, I'm trying to do interesting things, connect with interesting people, you know, learn from my girlfriend, things like that. And then everything in between is, you know, immersed in all of the other people and just being out in the world. And of course, like, I'm not discounting that that is also a huge learning. I learn a lot from my team. Uh, they're just a group of incredible people. And, and I learn a lot from the people that, that I meet with, the people in our community, you know. So it's like, I had a big kind of shift because I used to have this thing where I was like, oh, no, I'm not getting enough time to like read all my books and whatever. But like having a growth mindset is having a growth mindset. It's not needing to spend time growing. It's that you can look at every situation and take away what you're learning from it. Right. So, mm, yeah. so if you just shift your mindset, then, then the whole time investment thing is like it becomes less of a big deal. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's not necessarily what you do. It's how you use 
and what you take away from what you're doing. Right? Right. So I could be spending time with a team. I could be spending time reading. I could be spending time on a podcast like this. I could be spending time driving to work. doesn't matter. It's what am I taking away from whatever time I'm spending? Right. And, and so it's, it's that, that's the mindset. That's beautiful. Right. And, and sometimes as well, and, and I know this is, this is maybe the wrong message to proliferate on a podcast, right? But my natural inclination when I'm walking from A to B is like, listen to a podcast. But sometimes the most ideal thing I could do is literally just walk and, and provide the space for like all of the ideas and everything to just like marinate in my mind. And potentially that's the best thing I could have done is just give myself space. How important is space to you? I'm realizing the importance of it day by day now, because if you don't create space, things can fester, you know, and particularly stress, you know, if you're running from meeting to meeting every day, you don't create space, you're going at 100%, you know, eventually that's going to catch up to you. One of my a coach that I work with, he was telling me about how he like works with this Tour de France biker, where the biker was basically saying, you know, we have this strategy where, where you always have to be at 80%. And you, you have a temptation to move to 100%, right? But if you move to 100%, you're going to like burn all your stores and you might actually not finish the race or you might finish that race, but then you won't recover in time for the race the next day. And so you always got to be mindful of like your capacity and kind of, are you giving yourself space to do that appropriately? Every day in my team's standups, we ask a question, how are you managing your energy? This is very important because it's, it's basically like, how are you taking care of yourself today? That's making sure that we take breaks, right? That's making sure that we're taking a walk. That's making sure that maybe we're going to do yoga or we're going to sing or, you know, whatever. But th- these things are really important for longevity, really important. And in this day and age where it's like super easy to never turn off, you have to intentionally create it. Otherwise, you know, good luck. Especially with, with energy. I have a question for you. So I'm, I'm curious on your perspective um, around energy. Let's say somebody's working on stuff that they're not really driven or passionate about or, or connected to, and they have to do it out of necessity, whether it's because mm-hmm. of a situation they're in or something that they're just sort of forced into. How do you begin to like manage energy when the nature of what you're doing is very draining? Yeah. I mean, that's, I think the vast majority of the workforce, right? Yeah. It's a really difficult question. You know, one that I don't, it's like, there's a lot of things I don't know. And I don't think I know the answer to that question. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I, I could, I could take a shot at that, but it's really, it's really hard because it, it, it's easy for me to be on my high horse. You know, we run a nonprofit and we're all super aligned with the mission. And, and so in that respect, it's kind of easy. Honestly, man, I don't, what could I say to that? Unless it's like, if you're in a situation that you don't like, where my mind is going, my intuition is going is like to the Viktor Frankl Man Search for Meaning book where, you know, he was in Auschwitz. And basically what he was saying is like, even in the worst moments, you can still choose how to react and respond. You will always have the freedom of choice. And oftentimes, you know, that freedom of choice can be in, that can just be purely an internal thing right? Even if you can't change, like in his case, he couldn't change his situation. I love that, dude. No, I'm glad you brought up Man's Search for Meaning. That's like one of my favorite books. Incredible book. Anybody who hasn't read it, I'd highly recommend it. It was important for me at some point in my life. Responsibility. I want to go back to that. And you said something interesting about Jack Dorsey, who talked about 
him being like the like, like taking care of himself was one of the most important things. And then you said something even er- like earlier about like because you feel like when you shoulder as much responsibility as possible, you know how to use that responsibility, like and spread it with love and and and. So it's almost like you trust yourself to do the right. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Yeah. I'm not saying that I am. I'm trying to. No, no, no. I know. Give yourself some credit, Matt. All right? <laughs> Give yourself some damn credit. Like, <laughs> all right. All I'm, right. I'm telling you, man, like it's, it, you're, you're doing amazing things. This is why I, I, I want you here. Like you're, you're doing amazing things. Thank you, man. With that responsibility, you're also pushing yourself pretty hard. How does imposter syndrome show up as you start shouldering all this responsibility? Mm-hmm. And what is your relationship with like just this feeling of whether you're not enough or should I be going after these things? I mean, you're trying to fix some pretty amazing problems in the world. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I, I really genuinely appreciate that. Yeah, imposter syndrome is a very real thing. And I think stats on imposter syndrome in entrepreneurs is crazy. I think it's like, I don't have the actual number, but I think it's something in the neighborhood of 80% of entrepreneurs feel this way. You know, we're building an organization. I found myself in rooms that I, you know, had not normally been in before with very prominent entrepreneurs. And immediately, you know, that would be really difficult for me. That would make me feel super tight in my body, super uncomfortable. You know, honestly, think of like the top entrepreneurs in the world and like just having a conversation, sitting down with them for an hour or, or public speaking in a room that they're in, you know, that's led me to some really kind of difficult and challenging moments, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, let's just say I've had some serious challenges there and it's all, it's all like part of the journey, right? It's, it's, you know, this is both an external and an internal struggle. One of the best things I've done with that is I got a therapist to kind of come along for the ride inside of my head. That has been immensely useful. I mean, it's just been incredible. You know, we've been working together for about three months at this point. So we're still like very fresh, we're still in it. But I feel like I've like rounded the corner quite well. And I think I have a solid relationship with it now, which is that it still shows up, but I'm able to recognize it and manage it and kind of work with it, you know? And it's just an indicator that, you know, the stakes are high and, and I'm feeling excitement in my body. You know, usually once I start interacting with those people, then it kind of washes away and things are fine. But, you know, to start, that was an incredibly difficult journey. But one of the gifts from that is it's given me more compassion now to realize that this is a thing that many, many other people also struggle with. It wasn't even, it didn't even register to me, but now I know that that's a thing. And so I can help, you know, make other people more comfortable in those interactions. Do you think that imposter syndrome kind of builds on itself? Like, so like, let's say you go into a room and you're, you're right across from one of your icons. That's like super intimidating. And then you kind of get over that level of imposter syndrome. And then like later on when you meet someone else, like, have you gotten over it? Or is it something that just kind of shows up in the most unexpected times? Yeah, good question. Yeah, I think there's layers to it, you know? I think there's layers, you know, I, I, and it's all just, a, I think it's just a matter of exposure and like getting reps, you know, but certainly like, you know, there are certain conditions and if all conditions are met, you know, then the imposter syndrome is like triggered to the max. Right. So I think that's how, at least I think about it. I think a lot of other people or like a very common example that like many people can resonate with is the nervousness around public speaking. Right. And if you think about your nervousness around public speaking, there are like certain contributing factors that can like amp up that nervousness. 
Yeah. Are there high profile people in the room? Are the stakes high? How many people are there? You know, what do you have to talk about? How well do you know your content? All, all of those pieces. And so, you know, there are layers based on how many of those like criteria are fulfilled. Right? Yeah. So if it's like, yeah, I'm going to go talk to Elon Musk about something that I know nothing about for like two hours. Yeah. I'm going to be really nervous. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I guess it's just, it's, it's a humbling reminder, man. You know, I've always experienced that. I think the farther you push and the farther you reach, the louder that imposter gets. But something that's worked well for me is every step of the way, the second I start to see one angle of my imposter, I can start to recognize the imposter when he's showing up in another part of my life. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, it's almost like you like you're shining light every time you face it and you get over it and you're like, all right, I see what you are now eventually you start to kind of get a decent idea of like when it's showing up mm. and it's mm. like, but I think that's a bigger problem for me is when I don't know that my imposter syndrome is showing up and I think it's real. And then when I give it weight, that's when it's like, damn, like, like I'm not meant to be here. Like, I can't, I, you know, like I start, my mm. mind just starts spinning right. as I give it weight and therapy. Thank you for mentioning that too. I yeah. think most people, they look at therapy and give it like a negative connotation. You know, like I think that's complete crap. I think therapy is, is one of the most healing and helpful things anybody can do. It's incredible. I mean, I, I can't believe I waited 32 years to, you know, in, indulge. I think it'll be a big part of my life, like possibly for the rest of my life, you know, in, yeah. in periods. So what I hear you saying is like awareness is the first step. How do you cultivate that awareness? One, well, I do all the things that you mentioned, a journal, I reflect a lot. So especially when I have like anxiety come up for me, like when I, when I feel anxious or when I'm not feeling good, I usually sit back and I try and think about why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. And generally speaking, by writing that down and starting to ask myself those questions, then I start to look at it from an objective lens. Cause I feel like once I write it down, I like vomit all those feelings on paper. Mm. And then I can look at it and now I feel better and I'm thinking about what I just wrote down and I'm like, okay, this is what's really causing me to feel this way. And then I start to question whether that's real, whether that's not. But awareness has been big. Doing things that scare the hell out of me has been huge. Like yeah. You learn a lot about yourself when you're putting yourself in. I mean, you know this just as well as I do. I mean, getting on stages or mm-hmm. shooting for 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 people or, or deals or anything. Like, I mean, you're yeah. really kind of pushing the boundaries of what you've accomplished. And then I feel like for me, awareness is almost like another word for confidence. Like the more aware I am of like limitations and the things that are holding me back, the more confident I am. And so anything that kind of builds confidence in just an understanding of self, I think any of those activities for me kind of bleed into the idea mm. of building awareness. That's amazing. Well, it's been a journey too, you know, just feel like I've tried a lot of shit and a lot of it hasn't worked, but over time it's come to a point where now at least I know what, what works for me. And and I think that's important too. I think it's just trying enough things until you, but not being afraid to try. Yeah, totally. Right. Like, actually I do want to talk to you about fear in general, because fear and love are, you know, two sides of the same coin in, in a way. So how does fear show up in your life? 
How do you show up when fear shows up in your life? These are some heavy hitting questions, man. I love it, dude. I love <laughs> you told it. me right? before that Incredible. you wanted to get yeah. vulnerable. I, I love it. Let's do this, man. I did. <laughs> I absolutely did. I asked for it. Fear shows up in my life currently in a small handful of places. You know, the, the first place is um, some of the stuff that I just mentioned, right? Like pretty high level meetings, right? Fear shows up in those situations. Certain speaking gigs. Fear is is definitely still showing up. And I think those are probably the two biggest ones. So maybe we can like dive in on those. You know, as I was like, like a couple months back when I was like really in the throes of this thing, like two or three months ago, you know, the fear would show up and then it would manifest in in kind of like despair, you know, in kind of like, I just want to move to the countryside. I'm out of here. I can't, why am I do? I can't believe I'm doing this. Why am I subjecting myself to this? And it would manifest in like stress in my body. Uh, which was just incredibly uncomfortable. Like really, really was not, was not fun. Now, given the work I've done with my therapist, you know, fear shows up and I might have like one or two thoughts of like, I'm feeling uncomfortable or I'm feeling like I, I don't want to be here or I don't want to do this or, but, you know, ultimately we're not necessarily looking for confidence. We're just looking for courage, right? And cur- courage is well said. feeling the fear, right? And just still walking straight in you know, and like the five seconds before you just go, all right, fuck this, you know, and you just fucking let it rip. And that's courage, right? And then you and then you let it rip. And you just trust that, you know, whatever is coming out of you is going to be sufficient. You know, (laughs) And uh, you got to see so there's like, there's several components there to like getting over that hump, right? So, so there's the courage piece, there's like the trusting piece, like trusting in the present moment, basically. Because a lot of it is like, oh, shit, like, I don't know how this is going to unfold. You just got to trust that you have the tools to navigate that, you know. And then I think there's a very practical tip that has really worked for me is like, if I'm still feeling the fear once I start, so let's say I'm going to speak publicly and I'm still feeling the fear, then uh, it's, it's a practice called naming it to tame it, right? So if I start public speaking and like, you know, 30 seconds in, I'm still like, you know, really feeling the butterflies, then I just will acknowledge that. I'll actually just be like, and I'm super excited. Like there's a lot of electricity in my body right now because, you know, I'm stoked to be here and it's like a great group of people or whatever. And that actually usually does the trick, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you try to bottle it up, you're completely toast. But if you acknowledge it, then it gives it, a, it allows it to kind of leave your body. And it's really bizarre, but it, I, it, it works for me. Dude, and it goes back to what I was kind of talking about. Like, once you kind of know what it looks like, like, you kind of know it's there and you know what it is. In a way, like, I mean, you saying it out loud or acknowledging it just gave it shape. And then when other people, exactly. like, like when, when other people know that this exists, because I, I think like fear is more like there's a fear of death and then there's a fear of being loved and accepted. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, like when you're on stage, the biggest fear is like, shit, these people are not going to think I belong up here or right, it's a tribal shaming. Right. Yeah. It's, shaming, yeah. Right. So like when yeah. you just throw it out there and then you're not getting shamed, all of that fear just goes out the window and you can just shine the way you want to shine. Mm. You said something awesome about um, presence. Yeah. Trusting the present moment. Yeah. And this goes back to stillness too, but how does presence play a role in your life? Raj, these are like the greatest questions of all time, man. Um, <laughs> Okay, I got to stop saying that and just start answering the question very yeah. seriously. Stop deflecting, uh, Matt. Stop deflecting. I need to buy myself some time. A, uh, Get a Snickers uh, bar. Yeah, exactly. 
and it plays such a huge role in my life. I mean, it's like all encompassing, you know, it's kind of, you know, I, re- I first read uh, The Power of Now when I was 22. And I remember reading and, and just going, oh, yeah, this is a load of bullshit. You know, yeah. what the hell is this guy talking about? And now um, really intimately close to the importance of it. You know, I've been meditating for about eight years now. And that's not to say that I'm like some sort of expert meditator. Like I'm not at all. It's just so useful for me that, that I can't imagine a life where I don't do it presence basically is the answer to like so many of my questions of my of my challenges right if i'm stressed it means i'm thinking you know about something that i maybe in the past that i had already fucked up or something in the future that i'm like unclear on right and so you can just uh, like the it sounds so simple but like you can literally escape that stress or alleviate that stress by just being in the present moment in terms of interactions with people, right? In terms of uh, business meetings, in terms of intimacy, in terms of like, it's like, it really is the answer to like doing a lot of these things well, you know? You said something really cool. Um, When you're present, you're kind of like, you can't really think about the past or the future, which is really where I think fear and anxiety lies. Yeah, it's where they live. Yeah. It lives in stuff that you can't see. So like, when you're just focusing on what you can see, there's really no fear. It's Mm -hmm. just what you can see. I mean, if you really even think about like, like, let's say there was a tiger that's just standing right there. Like the real fear is God, if this tiger catches me, what the hell is going to happen to me? Right. It's a story you're telling yourself. Yeah. Right. But in the present moment, the only reality that's real is that there's a fucking tiger right there. Yeah. You're there. There's a tiger there and that's That's it. it. That's it. So in the present moment, there's no fear because you're there, the thoughts of the future. So I think that's powerful, man. I want to transition to some of the work you do at the Founders Pledge, because I think it's amazing work. I mean, you meet so many phenomenal founders who are making, you know, pledges and decisions to to donate their wealth. What have you learned from working with people who are at that stage? I think there's a world of people that, that want to do good and have great intentions for the most part. And, you know, I think we've seen that intentions are not always sufficient, right? There needs to be at least some sort of follow through. And, you know, we live in a day and age where the top five tech companies account for top 40% of the NASDAQ, right? And, and the, the Googles and the Facebooks have nine times less employees than, you know, than Ford and GM and, and those companies did back in the day, right? So, so inequality is at this crazy level. And you have um, startup entrepreneurs the successful ones have, you know, insane amounts of money being pulled up around. Them. You know, some of them are taking steps to, you know, give that money away, but not a lot of them are doing that in a, in a super responsible way, right? Because when we have a world where a lot of people are really struggling, they don't have much money, it's as important as ever to place a focus on distributing that money in a responsible manner. It seems that inequality will continue to perpetuate as technology continues to perpetuate, right? And we have owners of the technology and and less and less employees needed to kind of uh, execute the mission of these technologies. And so, you know, what we often see is we see a lot of entrepreneurs that come into money and, you know, myself included, if I didn't hear about Founders Pledge on a Tim Ferriss podcast, you know, I probably wouldn't have done much with that money other than just let it sit. Right. Because especially founders, they have this, um, they're conditioned to not spend any money at all. Right. And then you flick a switch 
and all of a sudden they have lots of money too much, um, money. but they still have the same conditioning. Right. And, you know, part of our work is helping these individuals, you know, understand that they're now in this incredible position of privilege with tons of resources and, and influence and that they can, you know, there's just an incredible opportunity to, uh, to do a lot of good with their resources. And even though they're well-intentioned, uh, it's really hard to do that well, especially especially philanthropy. It's really, really hard to be useful. And, you know, we step in with all of the resources that, you know, they would need to, to do that well. What excites you about the work you do? I think we have, you know, we have an opportunity. Well, maybe I'd take a step back for one second. I'll give you the one-liner on Founders Pledge, right? It's a global community of entrepreneurs that find and fund solutions to the world's most pressing challenges. You know, so far we have about 1,200 founders and $1.8 billion in committed kind of pledge value. That's the committed capital that will eventually go to charity. And that number is growing quite considerably. And so what excites me is that in this day and age, as I said, with, with inequality perpetuating and, and a lot of the world's resources being pooled up around these individuals and a lot of these people at the helms of the most powerful companies in the world, you know, we have this opportunity to play a small role in making sure that those resources and that leadership is uh, conducted in a responsible manner, a manner that's, you know, has been shown by evidence that it's actually, uh, you know, good, a good approach for the world and useful for others. It's almost like you get to see, you get to discover the good in people that, that, that most people don't even recognize exists. I'm like the modern day ice cream man. <laughs> it's great. And my team, we're the, we're the modern day ice cream uh, women and men. I mean, it's just, it, it's unbelievable. It really is, you know, it's still work, right? It still has its challenges and its stresses, you know, and we're pushing pretty hard. But it is ultimately like such a gift, right? Because we get to encourage people to be generous and, you know, connect them to this this feeling of altruism and, you know, anyways, it's, I, I don't need to expound on that, but it's just, it is a gift. Do you feel like, do you had a sense of purpose that caused you to want to join Founders Pledge? Do you feel that purpose has evolved since you've been involved for so long? Yeah, certainly. You know, there's a lot there, right? There's like, I'd say there's like sub purposes that I think could also be you know, cool that, that kind of latch on to the main purpose as, as it kind of builds steam, right? Like one of those sub purposes is like nonprofits play an important role in solving problems in the world, right? They, the people that are skeptical of nonprofits, they're, you know, nonprofits solve the problems that governments neglect and, and markets don't address, you know? And so they are playing a critical role and nonprofits, it's it's really difficult to attract good uh, talent, right? Because you can't pay the same amount of uh, money that you could pay in a for-profit business. You know, one of the things that that really inspires me is like making a nonprofit a really like admirable, fun, incredible place to work that attracts the best talent in the world. And I, I truly think we're doing that. I want our organization to be an inspiration for other nonprofit organizations, you know, and I want people that would never possibly imagine to work at a nonprofit to be, to be excited about doing that, you know, and we have those people all the time, you know, and that, that's part of the journey that I took as well. Right. And that to me is, is incredibly exciting, right? Because if we're, if we're doing our job right at attracting people, well, they will give up 
the kind of future financial upside, you know, even though they, we, we, we pay people well, uh, but we don't, you know, th- there is an equity tied to our organization. So there is no financial upside. You know, these people are willing to make that sacrifice to come here and, and serve the mission. It's just incredible to see that. What do you think makes people want to do something like that? I, honestly, I, I, I believe that it's evolution. You know, I believe that our generation cares less about needing to be the person with three houses and four cars. And, you know, they don't need to be the owners of things, right? Even if you have a million dollars or whatever, you know, whatever you have in your bank account, like, I feel like there's less of a desire to be the person that's like seen as having those things. Cause I feel like some of the, like some of those things are just like less desired. Right. And what is desired now is altruism and helping others. And, and so for many people, I feel like the, the kind of North star is now that above financial. And I, I think that's really beautiful, man. I think it's really yeah. beautiful. And I think, uh, we can get paid well enough to live the lives that we want to live. And they might not be the, the flashiest lives, but you know, most of us don't really value that. So it's really inspirational to see that. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, that was one of the things that fascinated me most about Founders Pledge and the work that you do. It's just, it really does bring out the best in people. And I, and I just love the idea of evolution and us all going towards that place where helping people, giving back, making a difference, and just making the world a little bit better than you, uh, than it was when you found it. Uh, just that whole idea is something that that excites me. So, Matt, you're, oh, you're a rock star, dude. Just Thanks, uh, man. Well, quick, quick, um, uh, just follow up on that. I'd be, uh, you know, I, I, I need to also share that we're currently at 32 people. We're planning to be at 60 by the end of the year. So yeah. we have a ton of opportunity in us and Europe and India as well. So we're growing very quickly. If you're interested, check us out. You know, we'd love, we'd love for you to, to consider joining our team. Perfect. Well, guys, we'll make all the links available for the Founders Pledge in the show notes and how you can go bother Matt and tell him how much you love him after this episode. All of that will be available. Um, Matt, again, man, I just want to thank you, brother. Um, you're such a gift in, in, in so many ways. And I hope you know that. Thanks, man. I'm working on knowing that more. Raj, I, I appreciate this, man. This was awesome. Matt, I got one last question for you. In the midst of everything you've done, everywhere you're going, and um, just everything you're up to, man. How do you stay grounded? Wow. Boundaries are very important, right? Setting boundaries in my schedule, setting boundaries to take time off. I'm going on vacation next week. Got to have the boundaries and uh, just being supported and surrounded by incredible people. My team is amazing. You know, they're like truly amazing people. Uh, My girlfriend is incredible. You know, she really helps me stay grounded and keep me in my body and keep me out of my head and, you know, and then my friends, right. Just surrounded by an incredible community. I think they, and it's not, there's no silver bullet here, but I think the combination of those things really, really help. Beautiful. Well, I can feel the love from you, man, a million miles away and uh, got a lot of love for you, but everybody that is a wrap for this week's episode of stay grounded. I'm your host Raj. This is your friend, Matt. And from us, Stay grounded. Stay grounded. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. 
For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.